Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. And uh, what a what a wonderful moment to recognize our seniors that um, we moved here in 2014. And I remember seeing some of these faces run around this place for a long time. And uh, it's, it's a blessing for us to be able to, to sing that song over them and bless them this morning. And I'm moved by that. Before I get into the text, I want to lead us in prayer. And, you know, we've prayed for our seniors. And I want us to spend a few minutes praying for our country. There's a lot of reasons to pray for our country. I've been thinking about um, recently. And then yesterday's news of uh, what happened in, in Buffalo, New York, was just kind of grabbed me pretty hard. And uh, I kind of hate the fact that at this point there's some jadedness. You know, you wake up in the morning and you see another headline or whatever it is. And you, you can't, it's almost like, man, I can't sit in all of this stuff because it's just overwhelming. But there, there are times that we need to sit in it a little bit. We need to respond to it a little bit. And I felt that yesterday. And, and I, I know when part of it, what struck me was here's a, a kid, you know, that walked into that grocery store near in Buffalo, New York and opened fire. And he was the same age as these seniors. He was 18 years old. And then uh, you read more and you find out, oh man, he, he had a clear purpose in what he was doing. This was not a questionable thing. This was a clear racially motivated hate crime. And I'm thinking, what in the world is, uh, what kind of lies is he believing that would lead him uh, to do that and take 10 lives, uh, moms, dads, grandparents, children who lost their lives, uh, complete senselessness and evil. And um, it breaks my heart. And then there's all kinds of other things going on too. And I, I was thinking about what Scott said about launching our seniors into a world like that. And then I thought this thought too, and this is where I want to kind of give us some hope. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And what I know is true about those five seniors that were standing up here is Jesus Christ is inside of them. And we're launching them into a world that's crazy right now, yes, but as much power for evil as that young man yesterday who did that terrible crime, as much power for evil as he had, Jesus Christ is in these five and he is greater, and they're going to have opportunities to speak life into a world that needs it, and, uh, and we have that same opportunity. So let me lead us in prayer for our country, for these things, and for us. Father, you are good and kind, and it is right for our hearts to be stirred toward grief and even anger as we hear of more loss of life. And yet, Father, we believe firmly the gospel is true and real, and Jesus is everything he says he is. So, Father, I pray both for the five that we're sending out this morning and for all of us that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that we would be able to come alongside, that we would be able to be agents of love and life and truth in a world that needs truth and it needs healing and it needs reconciliation and it needs hope. 
So Father, would you, by your spirit, empower us for this act? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles now to Ruth chapter four. Maybe you still have your Ruth journal. You can pull that out as well. Uh, believe it or not, we are getting near the end of our series on Ruth. Uh, we've been in it for a number of months and we're gonna be wrapping it up. So this week I'm gonna cover verses one to 12 and then uh, next week we'll talk about the last few verses of the book. Lloyd will be here for that and then I'll come back to wrap up the whole. You see on the screen the summary of the book of Ruth by chapter Chapter one, God's providence is hard. Chapter two, God's providence is hard to see. Chapter three, God's providence works with your faith. And then now here we are this morning at chapter four. God's providence brings our good and his glory. And I love the fact that the story is turning toward hope. It's turning toward a happy ending. It's been a long, hard, deep journey for these two women, Naomi and Ruth. And now their story is gonna end in worship. And I realized, for all of us who put our hope in the one true God and in Jesus Christ, our story is gonna end in worship just like theirs is gonna end in worship. I hope you understand that. And for all of creation, we know, the Bible tells us that the story of all of creation is gonna end up in worship of Jesus Christ, just as this story does. With all the heartache and all the messiness between now and then, it will end in worship. Praise God. This morning, the text that we're gonna study covers three main sections. I've just given them these little simple titles, just as kind of handholds as we walk through the text because it's a fairly long text. The opportunity, the transaction, the blessing. And after we exposit the text, we're gonna get to a connection to you and me that's just been blowing my mind the last couple of weeks as I've thought about it. So I'm excited to be in this passage with you all this morning. So let's remember where we are in the story. Uh, the night before, Ruth had snuck up to Boaz where he was laying at the threshing floor and she'd done some, you know, strange things, uncovered his feet, you know, he you know, laid down at his feet. He wakes up in the middle of the night and she essentially says, redeem me. You have the power, Boaz, to be a redeemer. She calls him up to that identity and she is asking him to, to uh, redeem her, to marry her essentially and bring her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, into the family and into the safety and security of God's provision. Boaz says, basically, I'd love to. There's just one problem. There's actually a closer relative than me and he has the first rights of redemption. So let me go to him in the morning, first thing. I won't waste time. I'll ask him if he wants to be your redeemer. If he says yes, fine. But if he says no, I'll do it. And that is Boaz's promise to Ruth. So that's how chapter three ends. And this morning we pick it up, chapter four, verse one. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So we have a scene change from the threshing floor the night before to the city gate. The city gate was very significant. It would have been um, the place that everybody passed. There would have been a lot of people, a lot of activity. Think about it as the sort of the town square. We've lost that a little bit in our culture today, but just the place where you would run into people. Um, it, 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 the, el the elders of the city were there, so that means it was obviously the cool place. You know, the cool people were there, the elders. That was an elder joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. The elders are not necessarily the cool people, but it, you know, anyway. Last time I'm gonna do an elder joke. 
Uh, so he's in the city gate, and the first person he uh, calls over to come and sit down is the redeemer, you know, this closer relative. Now, notice the repetition of the word sat down. So Boaz sat down, then he called the, the family member, the closer relative, and he sat down. And then finally, 10 elders of the city and said, sit down, and they sat down. Why the repetition? Sat down, sat down, sat down. The, the narrator is setting the stage for a courtroom drama. In this particular context, in the culture, you would sit down to do your business. You would sit down. I didn't mean that the way it sounded. <laughs> okay, back on track. For the legal transaction to be done, everybody would sit down. So Boaz is calling a formal audience into place for this transaction, and he needs three different parties himself, the nearer relative, and the elders of the city. They're now all three arrived, they're sitting down. So I think the, the narrator's kind of just saying that, you know, he's building the drama here of the courtroom. Everybody is present and ready to go. Interestingly, the, the relative would have no idea. It's like, why, why are you calling me into this? And why'd you bring the elders around? <laughs> I imagine him a little bit nervous, like, what is this going to be about? Only Boaz at this point knows what this is. Uh, last thing before we move to the next verse, there's a little Easter egg hidden in the Hebrew. It's kind of fun and it's very important. And so I, I wanna, I wanna uh, show you the, the Easter egg, so to speak. Boaz says, turn aside friend. It, if you double click on that word friend in the Hebrew, it actually doesn't mean friend. The, the English translators don't know what to do with this uh, little phrase. And so they translate it different ways. And uh, ESV translated it friend, which I don't really like. Um, let, me, let me tell you what the word is. If you were to transliterate the Hebrew into English, it would sound like this. Poloni Almoni. Poloni Almoni. It's a nonsense phrase. It's gibberish. It's just two words with syllables that rhyme. It's a little like hodgepodge in English. You might say that. Now, what's interesting about this, and first of all, I don't love the fact that they put quotations in here because it makes it sound like Boaz said, you know, turn aside, Poloni Almoni. He never would have said that because that would have been an insult. He would have said, turn aside, Joe, or turn aside Andrew, or turn aside Christopher, whatever this guy's name was. But the narrator substitutes the guy's name with this gibberish Hebrew phrase, Poloni Almoni, because Poloni Almoni came to sort of just be the, the phrase you'd use when you don't know somebody's name. We have a phrase like that in English. Do you know what it is? So-and-so. So-and-so. Or maybe, you know, you say, oh, who'd you go out with last night? Oh, just, you know, various people, so-and-so, so-and-so. Uh, they would also use it in Hebrew to mean uh, like such and such a place. So there's two other instances in the Old Testament where this phrase, Polonia Almoni, shows up and they're referring to, he went to such and such a place. It's like, we don't know the name or we don't want to say the name. You know, it's just such and such. It's, it's, it's so-and-so. Now, why would the narrator substitute this guy's name for this funny sounding gibberish Hebrew phrase that means so-and-so? He's making a point. He's drawing the reader's attention to the fact that history did not remember this guy's name. He is essentially calling him Mr. So-and-so or Mr. Anonymous. And you'll see later why he does this. Quick application, Senior Sunday. Let me speak to the teenagers in the room. Those of you who say there's never application for you in the sermon, here's one for you. Next time your parents say, where are you going out to tonight? Who are you going out with tonight? Just say, Poloni Almoni. <laughs> it's in the Bible, Mom. Poloni Almoni. <laughs> and uh, don't tell them that it was me that told you to say that. Okay. 
Let's move on to verse three. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for there's no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Uh Uh-oh. You know, we actually don't want Polonial Moni to be the redeemer, right? He's not the hero of the story. Everybody's cheering for Boaz. But what's interesting about this is right when you expect Boaz to talk about Ruth and marriage to Ruth, he talks about land. This is the first time we've heard about land that's at stake here. What is going on? Boaz was a very smart man. And he's being strategic It's actually very interesting what he's doing. Here's what you need to know. In Hebrew culture, people didn't buy and sell land the way we buy and sell land today. It didn't work that way. When they came into the promised land and God gave them the land, he intended that the portions of land that were assigned to each tribe and clan and and house and father's house, Beit Av, that they would stay in those families and be passed on from generation to generation. You didn't sell land in Hebrew culture like that. You kept the land. You passed it on. It was your source of income. It was your place. It was so significant. The land was so significant. Now, occasionally, a family would be in danger of losing their land because maybe the patriarch died, as in the case of Ruth. Maybe uh, there was poverty and they were taken off the prison or or maybe an enemy came in and, and captured them. So when the land was vulnerable, the Old Testament law said the closest relative should come in and purchase that land. Buy it. Why? So it stays in the family. The land was meant to stay in the family. And so that's the opportunity Boaz is presenting to this close relative. He's saying, look, this land needs to be redeemed. You know, Naomi and Ruth can't afford to keep this land. You know, there's not a man in their household to work the land and and produce from the land. So you need to come and buy it. Here's an opportunity for you. And here's what you need to know. This relative, the reason he says yes is because this would benefit him and his household. He has an opportunity. Yes, he has to spend money, but he has an opportunity to increase his land, to increase his wealth that he will pass on to his children in, in their inheritance. And so he says, yes, I'll do it. I don't want you to get that opportunity, Boaz. I'm first in line. I'll take it. What he doesn't know is that Boaz hasn't shown his whole hand. You know, and Boaz is holding an ace in, in the form of some information that he's about to reveal. Here it is, verse five. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. How quickly he changed his mind you know, it turns out Ruth complicates things for Mr. Poloni Almoni. Now, 
you get, I read this like four times before, and I still didn't really understand what's exactly going on. And that's the reason. And the reason is because until you really dig into the customs and the law of the time, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So here's what I learned. And let me pass this on to you. It wasn't just about the land in these cases. Yes, the land was important, but if there was a widow of childbearing age, then it was a responsibility of the redeemer, not just to buy the land, but marry the widow. But here's where it gets interesting. Marrying the widow was not just about caring for her. You could care and provide for her as a member of your household without marrying her. Why was the Redeemer commanded to marry her? So that she could produce an heir. And then the heir, the son of the widow, would get the land. Remember, God's intention was for the land to stay in the family as much as possible. So really what the law required the redeemer was, think about it this way, this is gonna be weird to say it, but almost a surrogate father who would marry the widow, hopefully produce a son, and then that inheritance would stay in that family. In fact, the son would bear the name of the deceased husband, not the name of the biological father. It was a very interesting thing culturally that was going on, all because this was God's plan for the land and the family's name persisting. The problem for the closer relative was he realized if there's nothing in it for me, I can't jeopardize my estate. Because he's doing the math. He's like, all right, I, I knew about Naomi. Now there's this woman, Ruth. I'm gonna have to care for Naomi. I'm gonna have to marry Ruth. I'm gonna have to provide for both of them. And if she has a son by me, which I'm commanded by the law to be a part of that, if she has a son by me, that son's gonna get this property and I'll never benefit anyway. And so what does he say? I can't do it. And you notice Boaz is going out of his way to remind him of the law, make this very, very clear. He says, in order, here's the purpose, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. It's not about you, Polonio Moni. It turns out redemption comes with a cost. It always does. Redemption is a sacrificial act of love and service not an opportunity for personal gain. In this case, the cost went far beyond buying the land. It included providing for two widows, one of whom would become a wife with the expectation she would have a son who would inherit the redeemed land so there would be no net gain for the redeemer's estate. And I can't help my mind go to Jesus Christ in all this, you know, who, who left heaven to come down at great sacrifice, at great cost to be our redeemer. Redemption always comes with a cost. The closest relative is unwilling to pay it. So he says, you do it, Boaz. So that's the first part of our text, the opportunity. I called it that because it turns out it's not the kind of opportunity the almost redeemer thought it was. He thought it was an opportunity for financial gain to increase his own estate. Turns out it was an opportunity for sacrifice, an opportunity for love, an opportunity to embody God's hesed, God's kindness for someone in need. And he says, I can't do it. I have a feeling Boaz knew exactly what that man would say. Let's look at part two, the transaction. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel 
concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. I think it's great when the Bible gives us these little cultural nuggets, you know, that seems so foreign to us, but you could just picture it. It's like they take off the sandal. And what's interesting is there've been other things in this story that seem strange to our ears that the narrator doesn't explain. This one he does. So we know, okay, whatever period of time passed from when these events happened to when the narrator wrote down the story, this custom had fallen away. So he's having to teach this custom to his readers. And I'm grateful because it helps us as well. So the sandal might have represented something. We don't know if it was symbolic. I think here's what's going on. This was an oral culture. There weren't a lot of things written down. They didn't have written contracts. Sign your name, sign your name. He called on the witnesses to bear witness. Now, these elders and the other people were going to witness this event. It's a lot easier to remember something you see with your eyes than something you hear with your ears. So just imagine months later, years later, someone says, by the way, there's been some confusion with that land. Did Poloni Almoni give up his right to redeem it to Boaz? And they'd say, wait, 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 I was there. I don't remember all that was said, but I know he took off his sandal. Like I remember him taking off his sandal. Yes, you know, he did it. It was a visual memory. I thought we could try this out this morning. I'm, I'd like to uh, negotiate a transaction. Do we have any elders in the room, current or former elders? We, we did in the last service. Okay, I don't, I don't see any in this service. Um, you all then will all be my witnesses. Okay, we're gonna do this. Uh, let, let me ask, does anyone have a stick of gum that they're willing to sell for $1? I'm, I'm, I'm being quite serious. I, I have a dollar right here, a dollar. Okay, all right, let's do this, Heidi. Okay, so I've got a dollar. Heidi has some gum. Go ahead, pull it out. All right, you all are witnesses. Thank you for the gum. I'm gonna need it later. <laughs> the sandal is off. Okay, you have seen it now. A few weeks from now, someone will say, what was Rob's sermon about? You say, I don't remember anything he said, but I remember he took off his shoe. <laughs> That's my point, see? The Bible can connect to our culture. All right, now, I was about to put this in my mouth. I better wait. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. In, in, well, first service, um, I didn't have a dollar. I had to give up 20 for that stick of gum. I got a deal from you. <laughs> then someone came up and gave me a dollar between services. Isn't that nice of them? Now, let's continue in the text because you're about to see something remarkable. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Guys, this gives me chills to read this. And I want to explain why. Did you notice what got repeated? To perpetuate the name of the dead, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. What was so big about the name, the name of the dead? Way back at the beginning of Ruth, 
Do you remember we talked about Elimelech died, that wasn't good, but he had two sons to carry on the name and be the patriarch of the family. They both died. And what we said when we talked about how tragic that was, we said from the perspective of a Hebrew people, the worst possible tragedy would be for a family to go extinct. Right here in this moment in chapter four, Boaz was blowing oxygen into the embers of a dying family. It's just... It's not too much to say he's, he's resurrecting a family. Why is this such a big deal? Guys, this is a culture where names matter, where families matter, genealogies matter. What's even more amazing, and we'll get to this next week, but this family and their names are gonna be a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so here you have Boaz. He's not just redeeming two widows. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. He's providing and caring for them. Praise God. He's redeeming a family. He's resurrecting a name, a family that would have gone extinct. And although Boaz is the redeemer here, the redemption comes from God. It is God who is redeeming this family. And he is using Boaz to accomplish his providence. Why Boaz? Because Boaz has his hand up. Boaz said, I'll do it. Boaz's care and compassion for Ruth and Naomi was a physical embodiment of God's hesed, God's loyal love. Remember when we said the providence of God often flows through human hands. What a great example. What a great example of that. God is accomplishing his plan through a person who is willing to say, I'll do it. Now there's one more part to go. We've talked about the opportunity, the transaction, now the blessing. Look at verses 11 to 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily, worthily in Ephrathah and renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. This is a beautiful, powerful blessing. The, the meaning is often lost to our ears. Count the number of names that are mentioned, both names of people and places. Rachel, Leah, from them came the whole nation of Israel. Israel was originally a name, and then it became a, na a nation. Ephrathah was the original name of Bethlehem, the, the very area where they were right then. Bethlehem was the current name, and still to this day, the, the name means house of bread. Perez, Tamar, Judah, I think that's eight, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight names mentioned in two verses. Eight names mentioned in one blessing. We don't tend to bless people like that. I want you to see what they're doing. These people are saying, the greatest thing we could wish on you, Boaz, and on you, Ruth, would be that your names are remembered like the names of our ancestors. May 
you be remembered for this act of loyal, faithful love, Boaz. May you be remembered, Ruth, through your kindness and your act of love toward Naomi. May your names go down in history. May places be named after you. May people know of this. This is the greatest thing that they could possibly wish for these two. And God did it. Just think about that. You ever heard the name Ruth? You ever heard the name Boaz? From our perspective, Ruth and Boaz are even better known than some of these other names because of this story. Now connect the dots for a minute. The providence of God often flows through human hands. We saw God's providence act in redemption through the kindness of Boaz. Now we see God's providence act through the words of the people in speaking the blessing. God is blessing Boaz and Ruth in a powerful way through the words of blessing the people were speaking. And then later, God perpetuated this blessing when this unknown anonymous author, whoever wrote this story down, wrote the story down and and shared with us the blessing. Now we're reading the blessing and talking about Ruth and Boaz. It came true through the words of human beings that God used to bless these two. The providence of God often passes through human hands, and I'd say human vocal cords, human words. Now I wanna put the whole passage together by going back to Mr. Poloni Almoni. Part of what the narrator seems to be saying is, look at whose name got remembered and whose name did not. The guy who was so concerned about the preservation of his estate is now not even known by his name. Meanwhile, Boaz, who sacrificed his own wealth to embody the Hesed love of God, is still being talked about today. And meanwhile, Ruth, a young Moabite, woman, three strikes against her in that culture. Ruth has a book of the Bible named after her. Come on. How can we connect this to our own lives? Go back to what we talked about two weeks ago. God wants to act through us. Yes, God does miracles, 100% to this day. Yes, God accomplishes his providence through miraculous things he always had. But do you see, that's not the norm. We subtitled this book, Ordinary Providence, because there's not miracles in this book. It's people going along, having babies, harvesting crops, doing all the normal things of life, and you see God directing, God exercising his providence through human hands. In the book of Ruth, God's actions are almost always completely directed through human beings. So how does God accomplish his will in the world? This is our big application for this morning. You know, this is kind of the main idea. God accomplishes his will in the world most often through human beings who are willing to align their actions and their words with God's heart. 
human beings who are willing to align their actions and their words with God's heart. That's it. Like that's our opportunity. And that, that's what I want to say to our seniors. You know, that, that's what I want to say, not just to them, but, but particularly to them. I, I, I want to just say, do you understand the call on your life, the opportunity that you have when your words and your actions align with God's heart? And all of us, go out into the world. Let our words and actions align with the heart of God. Well, you say, what is the heart of God? Guys, we know the heart of God. It's hesed. It's love. It's kindness, compassion, faithfulness, all the things that are embedded in that word that we've been talking about through this whole series. Let our words and our actions align with the heart of God. Do you realize Boaz was a mere man? A mere man that God used because Boaz's heart was aligned with God's heart. And because it was, we're talking about him today. Do you realize Ruth, her heart, she didn't even know God at the time, but, but she just knew she was being called to love, faithfulness to Naomi, the heart of God in this young woman. We greatly underestimate the power of our words and actions when they are aligned with God's heart. So the question this morning is, who does God want to demonstrate love for through you? Whose emptiness does God want to fill through you? I wanna put our invitation to life on the screen this is what I just think a simple step we can all do this week that could be profound. Spend time in prayer for the needs of people you know. As you pray, ask God to focus your mind on one of these people in whose life he wishes to actively demonstrate his love through you. So let's just talk about that for just a second. You know people in need. I know people in need. They're all around us. Start with praying for them. And as you pray for them, ask God, just say, will you just put one of them particularly on my heart in such a way? And, and will you say, I wanna bless that person. I wanna redeem that person. I wanna rescue that person or I wanna encourage that person. And I'm looking for someone who'll put their hand up to do it. Just say to God, I'll do it. I'll do it. Who is it for you? Whose life is God calling you to be an agent of his love? Pray about it. That's our invitation to life. I wanna encourage you to take out the elements of the Lord's Supper that you picked up on your way in. Uh, and if you didn't pick one up, please get up right now, go through those doors, you'll find them on the left-hand side. I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. If you put your faith in Christ, this is for you. I'm gonna grab mine down here. I'll give a couple minutes for those of you that are, that are getting your elements. Uh, go ahead and peel off the top layer. Just hold the bread in your hand, that little wafer that we're gonna eat. Just hold it in your hand for a minute. Let me connect this to our story. When God knit Boaz together in his mother's womb, God knew about this moment when Boaz would stand before these people and say, I will redeem. When God knit Ruth together in her mother's womb, God knew about that moment that she would turn with tears in her eyes to her mother-in-law and say, 
Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. When God knit you together in your mother's womb, he had instances in mind where you would step in and embody God's hesed, faithful, loving, loyal kindness to someone in need. He created us for this purpose. He created human beings to be his image, to represent God. What does it mean to be his image? To do the work of God on God's behalf on the earth. Now, here's what's happened. The truth is we have all very often lived counter to that purpose and pursued our own gain. I know I have, you have. There's a lot of plony almoni in me and you too. But Jesus came. And in Jesus' life, he only and always lived out the will of the Father. Through Jesus' words and his actions, he embodied the love of God on this earth. He did that so we could be redeemed, brought back into the family, and then that purpose that we were made for could once again be possible for us to be representatives of God on this planet with our words and our actions. So you hold in your hands a representation that points you to the body of Jesus Christ, the great cost of redemption that Jesus paid on your half. Let's eat that in remembrance of him. And peel back the foil on the cup and just hold that in your hand just for a minute. We mentioned earlier, redemption always comes with great cost. Mr. Anonymous was not willing to pay that cost. Boaz was. The cup represents the blood of Jesus shed for us, the ultimate cost. He sacrificed his life for what? For us. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You were his joy. You were his joy. We are his joy, those who would put our faith in him. He sacrificed to bring us into the family and be redeemed. Let's remember that as we drink the cup. Let's stand and sing. We're gonna sing a song of gratitude, of worship, of celebration for our redemption. Let us now do that and proclaim the goodness of God.